Welcome to Kingdom Living Ministries, where our vision is knowing God, loving people, and making disciples. We trust this week's message will be a blessing to your life. Enjoy the teaching ministry of KLM. Today, it is my honor to continue on in the vein that my husband has been in the last two weeks. And we're calling today's message, Purging the Church, Part 3, Guarding Your House. Let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, it is such an honor to be able to be here before your people today. And yet here I stand with fear and trembling. Not because I'm afraid, but because I want your words to be the ones that prevail in every moment of this time we have together today. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that I am your handmaiden. Use me as you see fit. Make my mouth the pen of a ready writer. Lord, I respond to you and I'm led by you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for amplifying every ounce of preparation. Thank you, Lord that during this time together, that we will learn what it is that you need us to know so that we can serve you better. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Certainly wanna honor my husband in his absence, which is why I'm here today. Um, he's in Florida, suffering with Jesus in Florida. <laughs> or for Jesus, I know, seriously. Um, he went to minister to a very dear partner, um, we prayed for her last week, and um, so the Lord is doing some things there. So thank you guys for praying and standing with us in faith with her um, as she battles um, cancer. And also, he because he was in the area, he is also um, shadowing or, or observing um, some leadership meetings with our friends, the um, Estradas, who were with us here a couple of months ago, right? So um, he sends his love. And, you know... I so much wanted to be the one bringing some levity after two weeks of purging the church. <laughs> and I heard my husband, even on the recording, he was struggling to insert comment relief and with his typical quips as he usually does. And I know it was hard for us to hear those messages, probably really hard if today's attendance is any indication. Um, amen. <laughs> um, but I know it was equally difficult for him to preach them. Uh, but he understand he wasn't afraid. He was going to do what the Lord told him to do. But it, it is it, it it's sobering, and even as sobering as they are as they were for us to hear those things, they were just so good too, right? It was cleansing and enlightening at the same time. So I was all prepared to deliver another message, but the Lord placed this on my heart instead, and. Let me tell you, when you are one with your husband, or you know, for those of you who are not wise with your wife, it really is true you are one. You begin moving and flowing and sensing and hearing. When you're on, when you're on one accord, right? You, you move together. And so it, it happened that the Holy Spirit led me in this very same direction and would not allow me to go with the planned um, teaching that we have for today. And I promise we'll get to it later because it's really good too. But today we're going to talk about, as we said, guarding your house. Um, so we're building on Pastor Dwayne's exegesis of Paul's letter to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 5. He was talking about excommunication in the context of sexual immorality. He wants the church to judge those, he being Paul. He wants them to judge this, specifically this, this immoral brother who is conducting himself as a sinner instead of as a believer. And he tells them, he says, purge the evil person from among you. Each person here or any biblical local church makes up that respective body of believers. So we're really in this together, okay? Yes, it's the responsibility of leadership to teach us and instruct us, but we have to carry it out. But what we see in 1 Corinthians 5 is an escalation. It didn't have to get there. This evil person Paul was telling them to deal with was a member gone wild, <laughs> just off the rails. How many of us realize that the story would have been different had this man simply resisted in the beginning? He could have fled like Joseph, 
ran away from Potiphar's wife so that it never got to the point of unrepentant sin. Or when he found himself in sin and found himself corrected, he could have received what the leaders had to say. And again, we wouldn't have even had that passage, right? But he has times. He has, I, I believe, there, were, there was plenty of time between this church being exhorted to make a decision and do what needed to be done and him getting to this point where he was discovered to be living in sin unrepentantly. You know, and as PD explained, we all sin and fall short of, the God, of, of God's glory. See, we don't teach perfectionism, but there's a big difference between mistakes and isolated incidents of sin and then the unrepented, I'm not changing and I'm not stopping even though you called me out kind of sin. And the context here is so key because of the type of city that Corinth was in South Central Greece. I mean, my God, <laughs> South Central Greece. Come on, somebody. One of the largest and most important cities. Also home to the temple devoted to the Greek goddess Aphrodite, also known you know, in Latin as Diana, right? Aphrodite. The name is the root of the word aphrodisiac. And I'm going to let you guys who don't know what that means, y'all can, you know, look it up or Google it later. Or use your context clues. <laughs> Basically, it was the hub for the practice of sacred prostitution. So you think we got problems now in the world that we're living in and the things that are going on around us? You know, I have compassion for the church at Corinth. Because you could go out of your house and at any moment see a public orgy going on. And, you know, we know we're in the world and not of it. But could you imagine being in Corinth but not of Corinth with all that going on around you? Your conscience, your lens is going to be affected. So I give much respect to those who said, you know what, I'm going to make a conscious decision to follow Christ, even though I live in a world that says absolutely anything can go in the name of another God. In their temples, it was like, you know, stuff that we don't even see now because it's illegal. But this was sanctioned and it was an act of public worship of that faith, that, that particular faith. OK, so they were dealing with some serious things. I'll never forget. Um, you know, I was approached by a member once. You know, what what do we do? How do we teach our children about, you know, certain things that are going on around us? You know, um, I'm very proud to say that, you know, the, well, and I say proud, but you all know, I don't mean proud. But we, we are fortunate enough to be able to send our kids to private school. And some of you are um, because we don't live in an area where we think it would be safe for their eye gates and their ear gates to be in the general population of kids who are influenced and not taught certain things in their households. So, you know, in some ways they, they are definitely shielded, although there's a lot going on in the Christian schools too. Let me tell you, <laughs> Destin got an education in the fourth grade and <laughs> fifth grade is, is jumping. But, you know, it's one thing to have the luxury or the, the means to be in but not of something. But all this stuff was going on around them. But Paul didn't take it easy on them. Even though you have come out of a lifestyle where this was acceptable, and all of this stuff was going on even much wilder than this immoral brother, you can't be tempted to say, well, he's just having sex with his stepmother. It's not like he's participating in an orgy with 50 people. So we have to think about that, right? To kind of insert ourselves right in the action of that and say, you know, it isn't unbelievable that something could be going on with someone like that and this church not feel like it's that big of a deal to put this brother out. Pastor Dwayne said something so key last week. Sometimes the church, instead of conforming to the ways of God, we will conform to the ways of the world because of the influence. So we have to guard ourselves. 
Y'all, we have to guard ourselves. It really is that simple. So what are we guarding against though? Pastor Dwayne also shared that it is possible to have a born again experience and lose your salvation. Now, there are some camps where that is not popular and that is not accepted, but it's true because we see all these scriptures that we shudder at, like depart from me, I never knew you, or those who do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Those are words addressed to believers, not to unbelievers. So there is, what are we guarding against? We're guarding and protecting our salvation for sure. But there's another thing I must mention that our pastor also said last week. He said this, it's not as easy as you think to lose your salvation. But you can come to the place where you decide to walk away from the Lord. It's the decision. And it's possible to cross a line where your heart is hardened where you can no longer receive repentance. So that's the key. There's a lot at stake. And I know we don't do this much here because it's not really in our immediate cultural tradition, but for the sake of audience participation and your retention and your attention, <laughs> can you turn to someone and say, I'm guarding my house? Amen. Y'all did good. Okay. So how can I guard my house? And what exactly is my house? What is my house? Your house is your body, your being, your soul, anything that can be corrupted by sin and uncleanness. What is uncleanness? What does it mean to be unclean? It simply means to be unholy, unable to be accepted by God, unlike God. So yeah, we're guarding against losing that which is so precious. So we should examine ourselves and fortify ourselves and guard against sin. And in the case of PD's most recent messages, specifically any type of sin that would break unity in a church, we have to guard against it. We have to be on guard. We have to protect what is precious. If you're wondering how we're pulling in this house reference and how I'm pulling it in, because I seem to be quoting more PD than the Bible. I'm finally to my text, okay? So let's go to Luke 11, 24 through 26. Luke 11, 24 through 26. Um, actually, first, we're going to start at verse 14. So Luke 11, go to Luke chapter 11. Verse 14 is where I'm going to start to set it all up. Now he, he being Jesus, now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will this kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is the finger of God, excuse me, but if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Oh, Lord. Okay, let me ooh, keep going. <clears throat> Verse 24. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest and finding none. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is more, excuse me, is worse than the first. 
Verse 27, and he said these things, excuse me, I'm sorry. <clears throat> As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you in the breast that wished you nursed. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word and keep it. Come on, somebody. We can go home right now as far as I'm concerned because that preached to my soul. But, but, we, but we're going to unpack it here just, just to make sure we're all on the same page. I don't want to be getting all this that I'm getting out of it and not at least share it with you and make sure that we're getting this together. So we see Jesus casting out devils. And the religious rulers, the Pharisees, want to mess with him and say, oh, you're casting out devils in the name of the devil. And then Jesus went and cracked every face in the crowd and said, look here. He says, how can a house be divided against itself? He's using this wisdom to tell an even greater story. I, the Lord Jesus, well, he's saying this, not me. I'm not the Lord Jesus. Come on. <laughs> Just so we're clear. I can cast out the devil because I'm stronger than him. He says, look, the kingdom of God is right here. I'm bringing it. I am him. It's me. I am he. And if you're not with me, you're against me. Then he goes to explaining what happens to spirits he's casting out, that they go to dry places where they seek rest but find none. So for the record, Angel, <laughs> this is the scriptural reference for when you hear me say that often during prayer calls. This is it, Luke 11. But look at what he says in verse 24. I will go back. This is the spirit saying this, uh, the evil spirit. I will go back to the house from which I came. And the spirit finds the house he was cast out of in order. Then he says, you know what? I can't get in now because this, this isn't how I found it when I first came here. See, when I first came, this, this house, it, it could be breached. The doors weren't really locked like that. The house wasn't really clean like that. Things weren't really in order like that. But now I need some help. So, you know, I, I don't come from this culture, but I know some of you, th those that do, if you're fighting somebody. I, I was always just able to talk myself out of it, right? But if you're fighting somebody and you get to a place and you find, oh, I'm not going to be successful, you go get your friends, right? Right? So this is what this unclean spirit is saying. Look, I can't get in here. It's not as easy as it was before. So now I got to go get some help. And when I, I'm not just getting anybody. I'm getting somebody stronger than I am. See, the devil is a counterfeit. There is no one like the Lord. No one compares to his strength. But see, in his deception, the wicked one thinks, you know what? Let me just do the same thing. Let me get somebody stronger to come with me so I can come up here and do what I did before. I need somebody greater than me to do this. So I'm going to bring seven more evil spirits to so I can come and live here. Because I'm not going back out there. It's rough out there. I'm going to do whatever it takes to stay up in here this time. In other words, because Jesus said this about them in a passage we didn't read, but in this, I mean, in, in a verse we didn't read, but in the same passage, um, and maybe even in the account that's in Matthew, because this account is in Matthew and in Luke, he calls the Pharisees an evil, adulterous generation. Because they are rejecting Jesus. And instead of Jesus's strength, they're accepting the strength of the evil one. So their house is able to be overtaken. This is specific to them. He says this generation is like this. You got clean. You got some understanding. You got some wisdom. You know something. You've been exalted to a place. You have order here. But that thing that you've been delivered from that you don't even have the sense to know you were delivered from wants to come back and deceive you again. Right. And because you're not with me, you're with him. Right. And he's going to come and, as PD loves to say, eat your lunch. <laughs> he's going to come and sit at your table, eat your food, live in your house, use up your streaming services, not pay a dime, take his place, occupy all your space. Because you don't have the sense enough in your pride to know that I am he.
Jesus is stronger. He's the name above every name. But they didn't know who was before them. But we know who he is. Amen. Thank God. But when you don't submit to Christ and you don't resist the enemy, he's stronger. He's stronger. If Jesus is not our strength, the wicked one is stronger. The Pharisees thought they were stronger, but they were deceived. Just like anyone who is in religious doubt and unbelief. Prideful, know-it-all, unable and unwilling to be corrected, unwilling to accept that they could be wrong. So guarding your house begins with accepting. Guarding your house begins with acceptance, not rejection, because it's accepting, not rejecting Jesus and his word. By humility and in faith instead of pride and doubt. By the ability to receive and apply correction instead of relying on tradition and intellect. A willingness to change and a willingness to grow. And if you can maintain a clean house and remain strong in faith and strong in the word, if you can do that for your house, then we can together maintain a clean church, fully armed and well able to withstand the attacks of the evil, wicked one. After all, we stand together as many members of one body, many houses of one house. Hallelujah. We can stand together and even though it's hard, cast out anyone who is given over to evil. We can walk in power. We can walk in victory. We can walk with Jesus as a house undivided. If you can guard your house, we can guard this house at KLM. I said, if you can guard your house, then we can guard this house. And as Pastor, we- Pastor Dwayne taught last week, and I think it's so key, it- it- it's probably, um, well, actually, no, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, Pastor Dwayne's messages have just been full of snackable, chunkable tweets and treats, as I like to call them, full of quotes. Um, and our new social media team that's forming, y'all got to get on these messages and chunk them up for content next year. I know you got it, Stacey, yes. Because those last two sermons alone were just so full of nuggets. But again, I'm going to quote him a couple more times and we're going to get on um, for me sweating his sermon. Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, PD said this, and he said, the destruction of the flesh is reserved for people who are unrepentant of active sin. And like we said before, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory and we're not preaching perfectionism. We sin, we miss it, right? But what we're talking about here is a person who refuses to give up their sin and they stay in it after they've been called on the carpet. See, the Pharisees were just awful, if I can say that. Even though they were on the other side of the cross and operating according to the ways of old, their behavior is representative of those in the faith community called out for active sin but refusing to budge. And I also found something else in my study and prep for this message that blew my mind. That the Pharisees share something in common with the church at Corinth that Paul was writing to. It's this idea of being tainted and influenced by the world. And I say this because we know that Jesus refers to them as an evil, adulterous generation, right? When he's saying, look, this generation is going to be like this house where, one, you know, uh, the devil leaves, can't get, you know, can't get what he wants anywhere else. And it comes back and, you know, try to take over your house. We see in James chapter four, another reference to this evil, adulterous generation. You got to see it to just, it's going to, I mean, it made my mouth drop. Maybe you don't agree, but I think it'll still be good for all of us to see it. So James four. And in verses one through six, we see this. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, my God. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world 
is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is no it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that has he has made to dwell in us? Oh, let me say this again. Who's making the connection? He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If you have time this week or today or whatever, read the whole chapter of Luke 11 and James 4 and tell me what you think. Hit me up on social media or just text me. I, I, I think you'll find it very interesting to compare and contrast. I don't have time to go into it and just like, but if, if you caught it, you caught it. You, you see anything there? You see some parallels there from the spirit that he made to dwell versus the one that's trying to come in and dwell? Come on. Oh, and it's more. It's more. It's rich. But I want to get back to the idea of active sin and the influence of the world. This passage calls it friendship with the world. It's so important to get those who practice from a mindset of friendship with the world out of our midst if they're unwilling to change. Active sin prevents you from being able to speak into your brother or sister's life. It makes you vulnerable to hypocrisy. And of course, the wages of sin is death. Sin is really coming for your life. The devil's not playing games. I never, I, I won't forget this. Petey um, went to, to the men's conference. Uh, he and Destin and Declan and Nas ended up going instead of the men of the church, which was fine because we knew it was last minute notice and everything. But they went and he came back. Now, the kids were doing something age appropriate. They weren't there in the part that Petey was in with the other men. But he said that um, the speaker said, look, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. It's not one of the three. It's all three all the time. He's trying to do it all. Sin is coming to kill you. We can't play with that. An active sin, unrepentant sin. Here you are digging for a speck when you have a big hunk of hell and death in your own eye. In that state, a person is incapable of saving the life of a brother or sister in need. In that state, you're not you're not eligible to cover a multitude of sins. And like Jesus said, if you're not with us, you're against us. Now, does that mean that we're contentious and, and it's factions one against the other? It's not like that. What it means is that if you're not, if you're not like this, then you're like the world. And you're not with us in the faith. And this is where it becomes the problem. We live in a world where a lot of people are upset with the church or the church that they see it, the church is how they see it and define it. They have a bad experience with one church. They see one church and some leaders who are corrupt. And then they say, well, all churches are like that. You know, every time I unmask myself as a woman of faith to people who are not believers, they look at me like they look at the worst preachers, the worst members, the worst of churches, the worst churches they've ever encountered. See, that little bit of leaven, we're not even talking about a local body. We're talking about the church at large. Those little bits of leaven, like PD taught about last week, they're, they're messing, up, it, messing it up for all of us. Okay. It's making it harder for us to be the church who wants to be the one true church, who wants to be the wheat kind of church instead of the tear kind of church, the people who want to be the wheat instead of the tear kind of members and believers. It makes it difficult when we go out here. And then they're looking at us like we're one of them. That's why it's important. It's not because we're trying to tear people down or keep them from living their life or having their liberty. It's because it's bigger than us. This is bigger than us. This is bigger than us. I don't know if some of you who have been around for a while remember this, but one time I stood up on this platform years ago and I said, there's so much that God wants to do in this church and through this church, but we can't get past low level issues in our own lives. We're still trying to figure out our marriages and treat our spouses right. We're still trying to figure out how to stop lying and stealing and cheating at work. We're still, you're still calling us about things that you can figure out yourself. So we're not able to mobilize and be the church walking in victory to do greater things and greater works because we're still working on low level works. And it's OK because we're here to walk with you. 
We're not here for the sake of being seen doing big things. We're here for the sake of you. But as long as we are here still walking you through these low-level trials, we can't walk in victory as a body and do big things for the glory of God. Because all of our time is hemmed up in just trying to get you to be sanctified. There is so much more. There's so much more. But I'm going to tell you, you're worth it. If we never get to go to nations and see um, dead people rise, if we never get to build schools and get people out of debt and do do the big things that are on our heart, if we never get to build schools and build um, um, water irrigation systems or water uh, systems, if we never get to get Flint, Michigan back to having fresh water, if we never get to do these things, it's still worth it for us to walk with you through these trials. Don't get me wrong. You're still worth it. We love you. We want to deliver your soul into the harbor of heaven. We are all, and I I know I'm speaking for everybody seated here. We're we're not going to lament on what we missed out on when we're still helping you miss hell. But what I'm saying is that what if we could work out our own salvation with fear and trembling? So you don't have to bring the pastor or the first lady into stuff that you can solve on your own with the Holy Spirit. If you would just be obedient, if you would just come to church. See, I love, I love that passage there in the multitude of councils, there, there, there is safety. But that makes some people itch. Because if you're an introvert, you don't want to talk to a whole bunch of people about good things. So you definitely ain't not going to talk to them about your sin. I get it. I get it. But you know what? If you just be faithful and come to church every week, every message you hear is the multitude of counsel. If you would just be faithful and read your word every day. That's the multitude of counsel. It doesn't have to be in the person and and, and locked into another person. If you get to a place where you're able to seek out what is available on your own, the Holy Spirit will lead and guide you into all truth. Not Courtney, not Pastor Dwayne, not the ministers of this church. The very same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead is alive in you. But here we are. Still praying for you to get a job because you won't be faithful on the one you got because you have a bad name and a bad reputation. We're still walking you through. Here we are still praying that you get a breakthrough because I'm not. I'm, I'm, no, I, I don't. You know, I have a really good friend. One of my best friends. Some of you years ago met her. She lives in Colorado. And she says, man. I love Joel Osteen, but when I listen to you and Pastor, and, and when she calls him Dwayne, when I listen to you and Dwayne speak, I just feel bad about myself. <laughs> you know, so I don't want you to feel bad about yourself, especially because in this case, nine times out of ten, the people who we really are referring to aren't even here right now. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Ooh, I'm getting a little warm. Okay, let me let's keep going. Let's keep going. <laughs> let's keep going. So we must remain pure and holy. We must remain and maintain faithfulness. We must remain faithful and maintain faithfulness. I think this is the last quote I'm going to lift from PD's sermon, and then we're going to move on. And I promise you, we're going to close soon. But I just have to say this. You know how he often says, don't let the the devil drive or he will take over? What Jesus is demonstrating in Luke 11 is that even if you get rid of the devil, if you don't keep him out, he'll come back and bring his strong friends with him to ensure a takeover. So you're not just letting one devil drive. You're letting eight of them drive. Do the math. It's eight of them. He went and got seven others. Mm. See, seven is the number of completion. Eight is the number of... You don't want that new beginning. The devil was victorious against you before, but then you named Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Then you were born again, and you were made clean. 
The devil wants to protect himself and his interests by bringing worse upon you. But you got to guard your house, right? With repentance, with faith in Christ, you can be delivered and you will overcome. But as the old adage says, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So going back to that immoral brother in 1 Corinthians 5, it escalated, right? We already talked about that. It escalated to the point where he was wrong. Then others told him he was wrong. He didn't receive it and was just going to be wrong. It didn't have to be that way. If in the beginning he had just kept his house clean. Our goal today is to guard against deception and demonic oppression and active sin through sanctification. Let me say that again. We want to guard against deception, demonic oppression, and active sin through sanctification. Remaining clean, holy, and pure. Those first two messages that he preached these last couple of weeks about purging the church should have allowed any of us struggling to hit a reset button. So if you're clean now, clean again. Our goal is to empower you and encourage you to stay that way for the sake of what's at stake, for the sake of greater works, but most importantly, for the sake of Christ and not crucifying him anew. So here's how. We go back to James 4 after saying all of that. Verse 7 gives us the blueprint. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So instead of trying to come back and get to the house, he's like, oh, no, it's too much power over there. I ain't ever going back there. Let me take this dry place. Because if I go back there, mm-mm. That's somebody who loves God. That's somebody who knows the word. I, I can't go there. I don't want to be around that. I'm not even going to try to get in there. My boys can't touch that. My seven stronger friends can't even, mm -mm, and we don't want it. Oh, wait, did I, get, did I get through the verses? I'm sorry. <laughs> That we, we just read verse 7. It says, um, it's 7b, resist the devil and he will free from you. Verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. If you want to be cleansed, submit to God and resist the devil. Wash yourself with the word. Draw near to God with the word. Stay in faith. Stay in church, stay under healthy, holy authority, and you will position yourself for repentance and sanctification. It sounds easy and simple, and you know what? It can be if you just do what you're supposed to do. We make it hard when we disobey. We make it hard when we resist. We make it hard when we don't accept the correction, not that comes from the mouth of men, but for, that comes from God. And his mouthpiece, the spiritual authority of the house. So we can be positioned for repentance and sanctification. There's mercy over us. That's our portion. Mercy is our portion. The devil and maybe even your flesh would tell you that your local church wants to smother you. Or create a ceiling or a lid over your life. And I have to tell you the truth. As we talked about, there are entities that have been guilty of that. But can we all agree that this is not that place? Can we all agree that this is not our motive? Are we? Yeah. So every, I see the head shaking. So we're all in agreement that this is not that place. So let's just drop our guards down. This is not that place where those things are happening. We're the real deal here. And I say that in humility. And we're not the only ones. There are other good churches that are not like the ones that are giving us all a bad rap. We, not the tear churches. We are glad to be one of them. Our pastor and our ministers here want you to live under an open heaven. We seek to help you stay positioned under an open window. We want you to live and not die, to excel, to prosper, to stay in faith so you can please God 
so you can run your race and finish your course and receive your reward. That's what we want for you, not to control you, not to abuse you, not to manipulate you, not to steal from you, not to ruin your life, not to take the fun out of life. We either believe what we believe or we don't. So how do you know if you're in danger of an unholy hostile house takeover by a weak devil and seven strong devils? <laughs> well, it's simple, really. Here's some questions you can ask yourself in times of self-reflection. Is my house in order? Am I walking in love? Am I functioning well and engaging healthfully in my relationships with God and other people? Do I have a healthy thought life? Am I seeing clearly? Am I growing spiritually? Am I regularly praying and reading my Bible? If you answer no to any of those, it's time for a health check. If you answer no to any of them. For instance, how do I know if I'm out of order? Well, unchecked, unchallenged hypocrisy is a big indicator. For instance, when you feel the need to talk about what we need to be doing here or what other people need to be doing, but the Bible has called you to build your own house, but you're tearing down your family. Active hypocrisy, unchecked, unchallenged, big, big indicator. Or your marriage is raggedy, but you're fixated on criticizing Jesus's bride when you need to be taking care of your own bride. When you need to be handling your own house, but you want to come in here and, and tell us what we need to do here in our house. And when I say tell us, I'm not talking just about PD and me. I'm talking about all of you people kind of come in here and say, oh, y'all need to be doing Jimmy Jack. Well, what God has given you authority over, sir, what are you doing there? If you're not treating your wife right, your, your prayers are hindered. So you're ineligible to even pray for us. So why are you talking? If you can't even talk to God about us, you don't have anything to say to me or anything, anybody else till you make it right and get your house together. But this is why church leaders have to be proven in these things. This is why, and I'm, I'm not fussing, I'm not discussing, I'm not, trying, I'm not here to tear anyone down. But the importance of church leaders, at the very least, being the ones to live these kinds of things out, to have unchecked hypocrisy in their lives is totally out of order. They if they're going to live out what it means, and demonstrate what it means to follow Christ so that we can follow them as they follow Christ. The scriptures are clear. They have to run their homes well and have good marriages. Perfect marriages? No, but marriages where there's communication and where there's a standard, where there's love in action, where there's submission to Christ. You want a woman to submit to you, but you don't submit to the word? Leaders are called to be an example to all of us, but they're not the only ones held to these standards. They exist to show us how to do it. Petey and I can't fail, because we're here to show you how to do it. And that's not, the, that's not a pressure or a burden for us. We want to do right to please God. The benefit is that as we meet the challenge, we get, you get to see. Come on and help me preach. Come on and help me do it. So I have just a couple of points and a few applications and then we are really done. I think we will be done before 12 o'clock. And I feel like there's so much meat here that we just chewed through for us to be um, this close to, to getting out of here this soon. But I, I, I'm, I'm glad about it. Hope you are too. Yeah, this is okay? Are you getting something out of this today? Okay, so we've got some points and then we're done. We got, well, I got two points and I think six or seven applications. And then we're done. I want to thank you for hanging with me this long. After three weeks of some very challenging and thought-provoking messages, I encourage you to get in the scriptures and continue to grapple with these things, especially if there were things that were hard for you to hear, that didn't bode well with you. Please don't run away from discomfort. Wrestle with it, but seek understanding. Don't come arguing with us for the sake of an argument. <laughs> seek understanding. 
Ask the Lord for wisdom and let us know how we can be a resource for you to further enhance your time of reflection over these sermons and these scriptures and passages. So I'm going to give you these points and applications and we're out. Okay. So two simple ways to clean your house. One, just admit it. Confess your sin. Confess your sin. Just admit it. Whether you're brave enough to tell another, please at least acknowledge it with God because he already knows, but you need to hear yourself telling it because you know it's wrong. You need to acknowledge it's wrong. And then two, get rid of it. Repent. Admit it. Get rid of it. Tell it. Confess it. And repent. Resist the devil. Make a quality decision to never accommodate him again. In other words, this is not the Airbnb for the, for the Prince of Air. This is not the Prince of Airbnb. You can't come live here. You can't come stay here. I will not accommodate you anymore. Send away people and get rid of things that are not supposed to be in your home or in your life. And, you know, sometimes you can't totally get rid of somebody, especially if you're married to them. Uh, I'm going to just, I, look, y'all laugh. I can't because it's sad. Some people are actually married to people who are under the influence of demons. And they don't want to leave. And I'm not telling anybody to, I'm, I'm not, so, you know, y'all know we don't believe in that. But, you know, we also don't believe in somebody being abused either. So when you can't be, but, but let's say you're not being abused. You're just living with somebody who don't want Jesus and wants to be in unrepentant sin. Or not even doesn't want Jesus, but you were equally yoked at one time, but they are living in unrepentant, active sin. You yoked up with them now, and they are not the person they were when you got together. That kind of thing. Be an example. The scripture is clear about that. Walk upright. Serve God authentically, intentionally, and consistently. Is either going to rub off on them or run them away, but don't allow them to corrupt your house. See, you can still maintain a clean house in the midst of a household that is suffering some dysfunction. Y'all know what I'm saying? Sometimes you can't control everything in the natural, physical home you're living in. But when it comes to your spiritual house, oh, you can keep that in order all day. It isn't dependent upon anybody but you and the word of God and you understanding it and living it out. And just like we see the benefit if when Petey and I, he's the leader of this house, when we get it right and we're able to demonstrate before you what it looks like to have a successful marriage, what it looks like to walk in faith and in fullness of the word of God, just like you catch it, when you're a person, when you're a spouse with a husband or a wife who is not, um, who is in active unrepentant sin, they're going to see it. They're going to change. It's supernatural. If there is a remnant anywhere in them as a believer, you trust them. Just wait, just wait on God. He's going to do it. But you do what you're supposed to do. All right. And then, so those just, I mean, I said they were simple, but, you know, you know, I had all of these other sub bullets. Okay. But confess your sin and repent, period. Okay. And then how to guard your house and keep it clean. So we talked about how to clean your house. Now we're going to talk about how to guard your house. Make room for God and God only. Believe and receive him as your master, savior, and Lord. Forsaking your idols, denying contrary voices and false doctrine. That's how you make room for God only. Number one is make room for God only. Number two, take your place. Take your place. Number two is take your place. Take your place as a child of God. Take your place as a royal priest. Take your place as royalty and as a worshiper. Take your place as a builder. A wise woman builds her house, right? Take your place as a builder. Take your place as a soldier. Fight for the faith. Protect and defend your house. Don't wander away from the truth, but stand firm on it. And as a functional, active member of the body, take your place as a functional, active member of KLM, as a functional, active member of the church at large. Take your place. Number three, go to church consistently. Oh, is that one of your points, Courtney? Yes. How are you going to guard your house? You got to hear, remember, and practice what you're taught. So you got to hear the word. Oh, well, I don't have to go to the church house. I can hear the word on the SoundCloud. I can hear the word on YouTube. No, no. But Bible didn't say that. Nope. We cannot put eyes on you 
We cannot give you a place to accept discipline and correction if it's a one-way communication through media. That's a one-way communication. Coming to church is a two-way communication. Actually, it's a three-way. Hey! And a three-four cord cannot be easily broken. But you're going to be at home broke by yourself with just you and, and the recording. You and the recording. Oh, yeah, I'm accountable to the recording. And let me push play. And every time I hear play, every time they play the sound, I'll bow down. Hey, well, we know what happened in that scripture. You can't just play the sound. You got to come to church sometimes. All the time. Amen. Go ahead and preach. Help me preach this thing, boy. Okay. Pro tip. We said this earlier, but I'm going to say it again. People won't and don't have to be involved in your business if you would simply listen and practice what your pastor is preaching. If you would simply just listen and take heed to what you hear, nobody has to ever be calling you on the carpet if that's what you're afraid of. But I would submit to you that if that is something that you're overly concerned about, that that's some housekeeping you need to do there too. Because there's concern about the wrong thing. But that's all right, because look, I'm an extrovert. Everybody's not an extrovert. I don't mind talking to people. I don't mind speaking. I'm like, hey, extrovert, I know, I see you. But for some people, it's really hard, the idea of coming somewhere and people talking to them, asking them about their day is one thing. And for some, that's terrifying. Then you're going to ask me about my, how am I doing in my walk with Christ? <gasps> that's scary. That's too much. I'm raising two children. One is an extrovert. One is an introvert. And yeah, they respond and interact with the world differently. So I understand. But you may be born with one inclination, but then you got born again. All right? So there has to be some change and growth there. Yeah. And on this last thing I'm going to say, I don't know why I'm led to say this, but um, y'all know I love those personality tests and stuff. So I just had to take one on Friday for work. And it says that, I'm an ENFP. I've always been an ENFJ. And when I'm going through hardships, sometimes I do borderline ENI. I'm losing some of you on some of it, but look, look it up. ENFP, ENFJ. Okay. So in other words, the E stands for extrovert. All right. The I stands for introvert. So sometimes I'll be closer to introvert than others. But when things are going well in my life and I'm not stressed, I'm a straight up E. Straight up E. And for most of my life, I've been a straight up P. But because of Jesus, because of the call on my life, because of growth and maturity, I'm moving over into this P. And I'm like, oh, Lord, it's not cusping anymore. I'm an ENFP. I'm a protagonist or whatever. But anyway, y'all look that up. We don't look. We are who God says we are, not who Myers-Briggs and others say we are, okay? I know some of y'all still lost. What you talking about? Let me move on. Okay, because I'm in the, I'm, I'm in the point, so we're, fix, we're fixing the clothes, fixing the clothes. Okay. So, yeah, hey. Yeah, personality tests, whatever, whatever. But anyway, so, but my point is this. You can be one way, but good teaching, submission to the word of God and authority is going to conform you more to Christ. And the way that you are naturally may not, may, may not be what God had in mind. There are a lot of reasons why we end up behaving and reacting and responding and interacting the way that we do. But when you're conforming to the image of Christ, you can expect those things to change. My God, he'll even change your personality. For some people, that's scary. Not for me. I want to be like Christ. I want to be like the person of Christ. Amen. Okay. So go to church consistently. And when you can't be here, make sure you listen and watch the replays. Yes, that's true. When you just absolutely can't be here. And then find a way to engage with it. Go, go, go. Talk. Hey, if you know somebody else that missed the same service you missed, say, hey, let's, let's listen to it again. Let's talk about it. Do, find a way to engage. Okay. Number four. So we, we, let, me, let me recap. So number one was make room for God only. Number two was take your place. Number three was go to church consistently. Number four, watch your associations. Uh-oh. For some people, the harder than giving up their personality or their, their or, you know, the, the, the thing that, they, that makes them them, their identity, their rep, 
Second to that is giving up the people that they are tied to unrighteously. But you got to watch your associations. Why? Well, let's look at the church in Corinth. All literally, literally, all hell breaking loose around them when you step out your door. Because this is the place where people from all over the region come to worship the sex goddess and have sex with everybody. Everybody out there can't be your friend if they are interfering with your walk with Christ. You got to be willing to give up human relationships to stand up for truth, to keep yourself clean, to protect your sanctification. Excuse me, your sanctification. Sanctification and to protect your mindset. You have to be willing to give up human relationships to stand up for truth. Keep yourself clean, protect your sanctification, and protect your mindset. If you're not trying to help somebody struggling with sin, leave them alone. Don't get entangled with people with sin if their darkness is trying to eclipse your light. If you are not in a position to help them out of darkness and to shine light all up in there, flee. Love people enough to tell them the truth, even when it hurts. Now, there, there's, there's a saying out here that I love. It's like, is it the right time to say it? Am I the right one to say it? And something else. Y'all know what I'm talking about? So, you know, you, also, you need to use wisdom. Because every truth you have is not for everybody. If it be, the Holy Spirit will lead you whether or not you're the one to deliver a message. Don't be so quick. And you know whether you're the one by your motive. What's motivating you? You know whether you're the one by the spirit in which you're bringing it. If you're deriving joy from it, then you're probably not the one. Maybe the Lord is talking to you about you. Maybe the speck you see in them is the big log that's in your eye. So you see what I'm saying there? But again, tell the truth, even if it hurts. And walk with wise people. So watch your associations is number four. Number five, walk in love. Pretty self-explanatory. Forgive, have compassion, love God, yourself, and everyone, as, and everyone else as yourself. So walk in love, period. Grow up is number six. Grow up. Grow up. And watch this. The second part of that is and keep growing. Grow up and keep growing. Spiritual growth and maturity are key to your Christian development. Discipleship is necessary, but at some point you should be able to function as a mature Christian rather than as a babe in Christ. So we touched on this. In many ways, we're still walking with babies and we can't do what grown people do out there for the glory of God. That was a lot or you just stretching? Okay. <laughs> I thought you were reacting. I was like, whoa, it really hit you like that? So you, we have to grow up. But then the other thing is that we have to have enough maturity and wisdom to know we never arrive. Yeah. That's where the humility comes in. You know, of all, I'm graced to know so much. Thank you, Lord. I've come to know so much in this 25 years I've been walking with you. Wait, wait. Or 26 years I've been walking with you. Come to know so much. But there's so much more to know. And I yield myself. I humble myself to know it. And I'll receive it from a donkey if you send a donkey. I receive it. I receive wisdom from wherever she cries out because that's just how I'm wired. My ear is inclined to wisdom. My mindset is a growth mindset and not a fixed mindset. And I can't wait. I have another message I'm like, you know, um, working on for next year about mindset. It's going to blow your mind because it's blowing my mind. But let me live it out first. OK, anyway. So and number seven. Know the condition of your house. So I'm going to do a quick recap. So we said, make room for God only. Take your place. Go to church consistently. Watch your associations. Walk in love. Grow up and keep growing. And then number seven is know the condition of your house. Now, y'all remember Frank's message earlier this year? Christ in your house, seven principles why we need Jesus in our home. Definitely review that later. That'll be a great help to you as you consider your house. Um, and it was a great, um, um, it was, it was, it was just a great 
sermon-wide illustration of house. And then I love the cultural references that Frank used. He took us from the five heartbeats to Lisa Lisa and the Force MDs, Craig G, Jungle Brothers, Commodore, straight to Run's house, even to the White House. He took us to everybody's house. But some points he raised before he even got to those seven principles really struck me and they were powerful. And I think they're appropriate for what we're talking about today. So when you wanna know the condition of your house, when you wanna assess how your house is, you can ask yourself questions like, whose house? Whose house am I building? Whose house am I living in? Who, who does this house belong to really? What's it full of? What's missing? What needs fixing? What needs cleaning? What needs maintenance? Assess your situation and act accordingly. Examine yourself regularly to keep your house in order. We have communion here. We used to do communion every week. But you know, I'll even say this. If, you, if we don't do communion every week anymore as a corporate body, you can do communion at home. Even if you don't pull out a wafer and a glass of juice, you can just examine yourself, get with God and inspect yourself. Examine yourself so that when we do have communion together, you're not sitting there trying in turmoil like, should I be eating this? Should I be drinking this? You already have dealt with, you're assessing some things. You're knowing the condition of your spirit, your spiritual condition. You're knowing it. You know what it is. And the reason that this is important is because it shows intentionality. <laughs> How transparent do I want to be at the end of the sermon in the last point? But I was that person when I was in high school. I would join all these clubs. I would join all these clubs because I knew they looked good for college applications, right? And then I had the best of intentions, but because I had my sp myself spread so thin, I never went to all the clubs. I never did everything that I agreed to do. I never did everything that I signed up for. I never got to enjoy the full benefit of those clubs or to contribute the way that I was, had meant to because I was spread so thin. But let it be yearbook picture day. Give a club, cheerleader, just and all, just taking a picture, showing up for the picture, and people are like, "Who are you?" <laughs> oh, well, we we thought you left. We saw. I'm like, shh, I'm here to take pictures because you know the yearbook is the record. That's the receipt that I did all this stuff. It's gonna look good for college. We don't just want to be about the appearance of having a house in good condition for the sake of appearances. Be very careful that your motive is not the sake of appearances. Be very careful that your motive is not what it is going to look like. Don't be all up trying to make your house, your spiritual house, look like something off HGTV for the gram. Don't do it for the gram. Hashtag, we, are we still doing hashtags in 2022? Please no. But if we are, hashtag, oh wait, she, he said, wait, wait, wait. Oh, we are, okay, okay. Well then good. Ashley says we are. Hashtag, don't do it for the gram. Do it for the glory of God. Do it because it's right. Do it because it's in your heart. Do it because you understand. Knowing the condition of your house not only keeps it clean, but helps you be profitable for the house of God. So your clean house, you coming in here, your Johnson Johnson Shea Moisture Dove. I don't know. You know, we talked about all the baby products earlier, but you know, some people do use baby products. To, I remember Nadira used to love her baby powder fragrance. Yeah, yeah. Don't you know? Your the condition of your house when it's clean for the right reasons, you know, right motivations as we've talked about up to this point, helps you profit, become profitable for the work of the house of God. Because now you can be a member of the body undistracted. Does it mean that you have to be perfect while serving? No, we already said, and I can't say this enough, we're not preaching perfectionism. But what we are saying is that you should have a healthy baseline of a mature Christian walk. And that means, and, and, and it, as long as it's in line, like, you know, we're not expecting you to behave like you've been walking for the, with the Lord for 20 years when you've only been walking with him for 20 weeks. But act like you've been there 20 weeks. 
be growing and progressive, then we don't have to be doing remediation on you instead of going out in these streets and ministering and witnessing and being witnesses in the earth. Just one person left unchecked in a church can change us in ways that we don't want to think about. Just one person. So one by one, let us all guard ourselves so we can be a whole healthy church. And one by one, as we each take our place in this local body, submitted to our leader as he follows our Lord, we can effect powerful change for the glory of God. Let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for loving us enough to always lead us and guide us in the way that we should go. To always lead us, Holy Spirit, in the way of truth. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to pursue understanding and wisdom today. We continually cry out to have our hearts conform to your heart, to be able to humble ourselves in your presence and acknowledge you as Lord and Savior, Master, Ruler, Redeemer, our God and our Father. We resist the enemy. We turn away from idols. We turn away from human understanding. We turn away from the cult of personality. Lord, we ask you to continue to lead us and guide us in the ways that we should go as it regards our sanctification and our purity. Continue to clean us up from the inside out. Continue, Lord, to empower us and show us what it means to participate in our own purification and sanctification. We're not relying only on you to do it, but we participate fully and functionally in what it takes to present clean hands and pure hearts to you. Lord, in any way that we have sought, either consciously or unconsciously, to divide this house or to divide our own houses because of unrepentant sin. We ask you to forgive us. We thank you, Lord, that you, by the blood of Jesus, are able to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You're able to create clean hearts within us and renew a right spirit within us. You're able to empower us to seek for our minds to be transformed. and to turn our backs on the ways of this wicked world. Lord, we give you first place and priority, the center of our very lives. Do what you will with us. Do what you will in us. Do what you will through us. And we'll be so careful, ever so careful, to give you all glory and honor and praise for the rest of our time in this age. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. That concludes this week's message, and thank you very much for listening. For more information about Kingdom Living Ministries, please call us at 732-324-2200 or visit our website at kingdomlivingnj.org. Also, you can write to us by mail at P.O. Box 519, Rancocas, New Jersey, 08073. And lastly, if you would like to partner with this ministry through your prayers or financial support, contact us via email at partners at kingdomlivingnj.org. Our prayer is that this message has encouraged you to live out the kingdom of God daily in your life by your obedience to His Word. God bless you.